Welcome to episode 80, that's right, 80 of They Think It's All Over, the Football Shirt Show. Welcome back, listeners. I'm Adrian Football Shirt Alia, and this is They Think It's All Over, the Football Shirt Show. Who's joining me this week? It's Mike at Footy Shirts. And it's Adam at This One Kit. Adam, we're absolutely delighted to formally announce you as a permanent sign-in to the They Think It's All Over crew. Yeah, I am really pleased. I have been talking to my friend all week about it. Been telling all of my friends. Um, just really excited. Yeah, no, honestly, it's. Uh, I've obviously been on the pod before. Really enjoyed my time for the most part, aside from whenever Mike's taken the piss out of me. But, you know, so I'm hoping that's not why I'm here, because normally it's that Mike gets the piss taken out of him. Is that is that why I'm here now? There's, there's no Scott asked that we share it around. Yeah, and oh. I think my, my answer to that is, honestly, no, you're here because you're bold and we're not represented in the bold community. And secondly, none of us have any graphic design skills. So we, we needed somebody who could actually do that shit. So Finally. Thought, yeah. Yeah, I'm useful. Wait till my dad hears about this. <laughs> and that wasn't the only big news this week, was it, Mike? No, it wasn't. So Adam was our second deadline day announcement. The first one was that we're we're going to have a link up again with Kit Mag. So obviously anybody that's listened to the podcast for a little while will know that initially we were very much intertwined with the Kit magazine and then we went our separate ways. Um, but we've decided to look back up with them again. We think it could be good for us and for them. Um, and yeah, we're just going to work together going forward a little bit. I think that's quite exciting, to be honest. That shared love of kit and kit content. Who can argue about it? Eh? Nobody. I'm super excited. I-, I believe today's feature is about some people might call the greatest of all time. Yeah, absolutely. When I was growing up, this particular player was just ridiculously good and I still don't believe even though we've got the Harlands of the world at the moment and in the past you've had Alan Shearer and before that Gerd Muller no one has compared to this player as a number nine in any way shape or form when he was at his peak. Mike do you want to give our listeners a clue in three words? I don't think they need three words. I think it's you only need one letter and one number. Yeah, so Sesame Street, today's show is brought to you by the letter R and the number nine. <laughs> That's right. We spoke to Dan Williamson about his new book, which came out this week, all about R9 Ronaldo. So, yes, we're delighted to be joined by Dan Williamson, author of Phenomenon. How are you, Dan? I'm great. Thank you. Cheers for having me, guys. I feel like I deserve a pat on the back just for pronouncing the title. I always struggle with that word know, for some yeah. reason. So do I, and it's my book. It's quite embarrassing. So uh, so thanks for doing that for me. <laughs> I struggle with all English, so I wasn't even going to attempt it. <laughs> Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself because you've written a few football books and I know we're going to concentrate on Great Man and the book you've just published but you've written a few books before haven't you? Yeah so back in about 2014 I started um, writing about football so way back when I left school I wanted to um, go into football journalism and I went to the local college and told them that's what I wanted, wanted to do and the lady there was like well it's a very competitive field so you're best off going into something else so it's kind of always been something that I've, I've liked doing, writing about football and researching and interviewing people. So when it got to about 2014, I've been living in Argentina for a year and I started writing about football. And then in about 2018, I started to get the bug to write a book. And it was around about the time that Boca Juniors were playing River Plate in the Copa Libertadores final. And, and at that time, I was going on Amazon looking for books about Boca Juniors and and there was just nothing in English, nothing at all in English. So that's where it sort of came from. The the, the first book about Boca Juniors, me wanting to write a book, but also realizing there was a big gap in the market there uh, for the first English language history of the club, which is, you know, it's it's an iconic club. But I think most people 
I've got a bit of a soft spot for Boca Juniors unless they happen to be River Plate persuasion. So um, <laughs> that seems, you know, that seems to have gone down well. And then next book again, um, it's a, a lot, a lot more niche. It's about the Intercontinental Cup, which for for those who don't know is the the pre runner to the um, World Club Cup, if you like. And you know, that, again, that was something that interested me. Boca Juniors won it a couple of times, and I, I researched about it for that, and then. I thought, oh, like let's have a look what's out there on on this competition. Nothing. So, again, I tried to sort of fill a bit of a gap in the market whilst also doing about something that I, um, you know, enjoy. And then it came to the third one and, and a similar kind of thing. Really, Ronaldo was someone who, when I was a teenager, it was uh, someone who I idolised. Really, you know, as a sort of thirteen, fourteen year old, just thought he was incredible and, and exotic as well. Because at that time in the mid nineties. There wasn't loads of foreign football on on telly. You know, you get the odd uh, in you know the World Cup and European Cup finals stuff like that, but you didn't get a lot. So when when someone like him came along, it was just really exotic and exciting. Um, and then obviously, you know, in the late nineties, we started to see more foreign football on TV. I remember when he joined Barcelona in ninety six, they just started showing La Liga on Sky Sports. And then obviously you've got Gazetta Football Italia and he joined Inter in 97. So got to see him up close. And I think that's, you know, his fame kind of skyrocketed in the late nineties. But yeah, so really it was just a passion project, really. Just someone who I, I really admired when I was a kid. Again, there's a couple of books been written about him, but they were 20 odd years ago. Um, so I wanted to do something a bit more comprehensive and up to date. So that's how I ended up doing this one. That's really cool. And you talk about the sort of nostalgia and give away our age, but you're right. I remember when he sort of went across to Barcelona. I'd never had Sky myself. And I remember going around a friend's house on a Sunday morning. Well, Sunday morning, Saturday, Saturday morning it would have been before football because his parents would give me a lift and we'd watch Soccer AM and they'd do, do the skill bits. And every week there'd be another incredible Ronaldo's goal, you know, at Barcelona. And I mean, it's easy to get hooked on, the, on a player like that when you're seeing it for the first time. No, absolutely. Completely agree. And that's, that's the same thing that happened to me. It was just, it was just new and exciting and, and he was just be- he was better than anything I'd ever seen yeah. him before. Just complete on a completely another you know another level to you know players playing in the Premier League at that time. The first time that he kind of came on my radar, I was only I think I'd only just turned eleven when France ninety eight was on, and everybody kind of heard. You know, I was quite young at the time, so I didn't watch a whole lot of of live football. But you you know you'd had rumours of this amazing football player that played in Italy, and then all of a sudden Scotland drew Brazil in the group stages and the TV in Scotland was just Ronaldo and this absolute fear yet awe of this guy that was going to be tearing up poor Tommy Boyd and Colin Henry in the World Cup. So I just remember being an absolute awe of him, waiting for that game to come and then we almost drew, which was crazy for Scotland. But, you know, he just went, for me anyway, that's when I I, I just followed him after that, ever since that the build-up to that World Cup and then the devastation of the World Cup final uh, of, of France 98 and then obviously the redemption I remember because we didn't make it ever since 98 so I'd been a Ronaldo fan shall we say for every World Cup since then <laughs> at least you get to support someone then but, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean might be jumping ahead a bit but I, I was lucky enough to interview Craig Brown for this book and um, and then obviously really sad when I heard about his passing not long ago um, but when I spoke to him we spoke for honestly I, I think if I hadn't have cut the uh, cut the call short we would have been talking all day he was just so uh, passionate about Scotland and managing Scotland and, and he said you know so much preparation went into trying to stop Ronaldo and that was the game plan really but what he did is he spoke to uh, Bobby Robson and he said don't worry so much about Ronaldo because you can't stop him if you if you try and stop him you just you won't so he said what you need to do is you need to stop the supply so he basically studied where most of Ronaldo's passes came from and found it was from Cafu. So, I mean, you know, obviously it didn't work in the end because they lost. Um, and I think Cafu, Cafu had a sort of part to play in the, the, the goal, one of the goals, didn't he? He kicked the ball off a boy that yeah. kicked it into the own net. Yeah. So, so he obviously didn't completely stop them, but you know, he was still proud of how they performed um, against, against Brazil. And uh, yeah, Tom has some really funny stories and it was just, yeah, just a pleasure to speak to him. And, and then, like I say, really sad when I found out he passed away recently kind of leads into now we'll start focusing on the book but so for me I genuinely have so much appreciation for anybody that's written a book you know we, we always joke about my my lack of English skills etc but anybody that can actually physically sit down and write 
you know, a 300 odd page book that is very good is completely outside of my skill set. So I really, I'm always really interested. So can you, for, for anybody that might be interested in going into that field or for people that just don't know what it entails, can you give us just a little snippet of what it actually takes to write a book? So where do you research? Who do you speak to? You know, to, just for, for the listeners to get an idea. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there's years come before the book where I'm just kind of writing for various different websites and magazines and building up a little bit of a reputation, you know, not like, not a big one, but obviously, um, you know, building up a bit of a following on Twitter and, and writing for some good sites and some not so good ones. Um, and then finding the publisher who, you know, I showed them my back catalog of what I've been writing and what I wanted to write about. And so that's the kind of first step is, is, having a bit of a, a background in writing and then finding a publisher. But once, once it comes to actually writing the book, it's funny because it changes all the way through. You know, I, I always kind of set out a chapter. Okay. So, you know, Ronaldo played for this club, so that could be chapter one. But then as, as you sort of go through the process, it, it kind of changes. So you realize that actually I, I want to talk more about this part of his life. And then I, I don't want to talk about that, you know? So I remember when I did the Boca Juniors book, I think I covered like the first, um, the first sort of 80 years in in about three chapters but then i wanted to focus more on the, the the modern era because that's what most of the readers would be interested in so you kind of just get a feel for it as you're going through um and in terms of speaking to people it's just knocking on as many doors as you can i mean it's it's a real thankless task because you know nobody owes me anything so i, I send out well over 100 messages and you probably get 20 replies um or you might get 30 replies but then 10 people let you down or so it, it's a thankless task and you sort of you know you've got to, you know grow a bit of a thick skin because people say yes or people just ignore you and so it's uh yeah it's, it's just trying to get as close to him as possible so i looked at you know who's he played against who's he played with um journalists that have covered him during his career and just knocking on as many doors and when you get to speak to someone asking them you know can can you think of anyone else can you put me in touch with so and so so um I can't remember where the um, where the Craig Brown link came from, but but yeah, I mean, he was like more than happy to uh, speak to me, and I spoke to another guy who was, who was probably going to be um, right up your guy's street, Craig Buglass from who worked for Nike, uh, and then he put me in touch with one of his colleagues, a guy called Peter Hudson who worked for Nike as well, and he designed the boots. So I ended up kind of through him getting to speak to someone else at Nike. Yeah. Um, so it's just that's kind of how it works, really. Just there's no kind of uh, you know, blueprint. It's just feeling your way through it, and and just as you go, you know, chopping and changing, and and making things. You know, that doesn't work, so I'll take that out, or I need to do more of this, and and yeah, just reading loads of loads of you know newspaper articles and watching loads of YouTube videos. I mean, that's probably the, the best bit was watching just watching hours, <laughs> hours of Ronaldo goals on, on YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if anybody's got any time on their hands, I suggest you go and do that anyway, because I mean, that's just a good good way to spend some time, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, because I mean, you you remember how good he was, but then you watch it back and you 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 almost re-remember if that's even a word, but you know, you forget almost because it's twenty odd years ago and people are talking about Messi and Ronaldo, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, and you almost forget sometimes how good he actually was. So to go back and watch it and see how how much better he was than everyone else on the pitch. It's like, it's, it's, it's quite, quite nice to, to see it. Is there any moments um, when you were doing your, your research that, because what, what I look for, I'm a, a huge David Beckham fan. So I, and I've read quite a few books and, and when I read the books, the things I really like is when the author has managed to get a snippet of information that you've maybe never heard before. Have you, so when you're interviewing people, do you ever get that feeling that you're like, Oh wow, this is, this is like first-hand information that's maybe not been published anywhere that's going to make, and this is why they should buy your Ronaldo book because you've got, you know, you've got a story or something that you might not have heard before. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to say that. I think, you know, he's, he's one of the most famous people probably on the planet and he's been covered to death. I think what I like to sort of think of my book as is there's probably some, there will be some stuff in there that people don't know, but what I wanted to do really was, pull together as much detail about his whole career. So, you know, people might know a bit about when he played for Barcelona or they might know a bit about Real Madrid or Brazil. And I wanted to just pull it all together and 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 pull together as many credible sources as I could. So I hope that when people read it, you know, they might be not they might not be like, oh my God, I never knew that. That's amazing. But I think I think they will 
appreciate the detail and and you know it's a full comprehensive look at his whole career. Like I said, there will be there will be some stuff in there that I think is what I find is really interesting. So you know, speaking to Craig Brown, Craig, I know Craig Brown's done loads of interviews about France '98, so it might not be brand new information, but I like to think that in the context of the chapter about France '98 and Ronaldo's career, that it it kind of stands out. And you know, I spoke to Henning Berg as well. Um, who played against Ronaldo a few times. So that was interesting. Again, it's, you know, not necessarily what he said was not necessarily groundbreaking stuff, but it was just fascinating to get an insight from someone who had, who had been around him and just, just building up a picture of his personality. Uh, another guy I spoke to a guy called Bjorn van der Dolen, who's not massively, you know, not a massive name, but he played with Ronaldo at PSV and, and, and just, just him telling me about how Ronaldo was, you know, how playful he was around the, the changing rooms he'd do keep you up he's with no clothes on just his boots on and stuff like that and <laughs> and and you know he'd hate training so the the manager would you know punish him in training and he just he just wouldn't really bother but then when it came to the the game at the end he'd absolutely obliterate everyone so so yeah there's there's, there's probably like little nuggets like that but you know i i, I don't want to be as uh sort of big-headed to say that i've got all these scoops <laughs> I'm sure the sort of the the layers of the detail of the story are really going to sort of shine through in the book. But without going into that detail, do you want to give us an overview of Ronaldo's career, just for maybe some of our younger listeners who, who think only only really recall one Ronaldo, or maybe some of our say older, we're not old, are we? But you know, people who <laughs> yeah, want to want to remember back, you know, take us on a pitted, pitted sort of tour of his of his career and some of the key sort of dates and milestones in there yeah i think that's that's important though because like you say you know a lot of people when i say ronaldo now i have to almost qualify it and that's a little bit annoying um but you always have to say you know the brazilian ronaldo or the original ronaldo and and some people use other less uh less polite terms to describe him <laughs> um but you've kind of got a, you, you have to now justify that uh with with cristiano on the scene so um there are a lot of people that won't be familiar with his career Although I, w- I must say, like on Twitter at the moment, there's a lot of nostalgia sites out there that are constantly, you know, retweeting his goals and stuff. So I do think that a new generation are becoming aware of him. Um, I know like a few young kids who play like FIFA and stuff, and they'll know they'll know Ronaldo from things like FIFA. I, I don't understand FIFA anymore, but <laughs> Axe or something, I don't know. But <laughs> I think I think I think they, they they probably will know him from things like that, you know. So um, he, he's his name's getting back out there thanks to sort of media, you know, new media. But um, yeah, so he started playing futsal, which is quite common in Brazil. And his first ever game, he, he was stuck in net. And uh, then he came outfield and and they realised he was actually pretty good. So uh, he just was banging in the goals at futsal, ended up a local 11-a-side team. And um, again, just banging goals in it. Everywhere he went throughout his career, up to a certain point, he just, you know, there's a challenge point in front of him and he just, he just took it on. Um, so the next step was Cruzeiro in, in 93. So he joined them, became a fully-fledged professional. And again, he just sort of took to it like a duck to water. There's a goal he scored against Boca Juniors, which is pretty memorable um, if if you can if you want to sort of Google that. And then there's another game where he scored five goals, which is quite memorable as well. And uh, the keeper, a Uruguayan guy, ended up retiring. I, he, he was 37, but... <laughs> Uh, about a month later, he just re- he retired, and I don't, know if, <laughs> I don't know if he has linked. Um, but Ronaldo sort of, you know, made a bit of a made a bit of an idiot of him that day. So at this point as well, he's he's, he's on the radar of the Brazilian national team as well. So in '94, in the summer of '94, he goes to the World Cup and doesn't play a single minute. But you know, you've got Romario and Bebeto, and and Brazil did pretty well, obviously. You know, so. And he, he took a different shirt number and different name in that World Cup. And because there was another, was there another Ronaldo in the World Cup squad? Yeah, so at one point he was Ronaldinho, yeah, Ron- Ronaldo, however you pronounce it. There was a defender there called uh, called that, and uh, he just took the Ronaldinho for a bit. So, so he was in the squad. He didn't play. Didn't play a single minute. But he since said um, that it was, you know, like the Ivy League of football. You know that he was able to to watch and learn. Um, and that summer he went to PSV. So he spent two years in in the Netherlands. So again, a new challenge. He's only, you know, he's only a young kid. He's what seventeen at this point. Going to going to live in Europe. 
and he just he's just scoring goals for fun. So this, every every kind of step on the path, he was he was knocking down the challenges. Halfway through that, I don't know if you remember um, the Umbro Cup at Wembley. Um, Scott, you might be sort of that. That'll be a couple of years before your memory kicks in, but. Um, well, it's another tournament Scotland went at as well, wasn't it? So yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't think anyone would be bothered about not being at that tournament. It was pretty crap. <laughs> but uh, I remember, I remember the only reason I remember it is because it was on, it was on like ITV or something, and and he played against England and he scored a goal, and Janino played, and then he joined Middlesbrough. So it was a really good team. <laughs> And then in 96, he joined Barcelona. And that's kind of where, it, for me, it really took off. Um, I was watching him on, on, on Sky Sports every Sunday night and I got the, I bought the Kappa shirt, um, which was like my first, must have been my first, because uh, I'm a Man United fan, it must have been my first non-United shirt that I had. Uh, long sleeved as well. Absolutely loved it. I, I, I kind of wish I'd kept it, you know, now that kits are sort of a, a, a thing with collections and stuff, but I just ran it into the ground. It was bobbly as anything. Um, and I just wore it all the time. It probably, it probably stunk to be fair, but I just used to, yeah, that was, I just thought it was an absolutely gorgeous shirt. So, so yeah, he was there for a year and it went a bit sour. So he was, he was only there for a year, not long into his, his stay there. Basically, both sides had realised that they'd made a bit of a mess with the contract. So, Barcelona, the, the the release clause was only something like twenty million quid. So they were panicking that someone's going to come in and pay, um, you know, pay pay the release the release clause. And also, his people thought, "Hang on, we've 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 undersold him here because I think he was earning about one one and a half million quid a year, which you know, not bad, but it's not wasn't what the top people were earning. So." Both sides were like looking to resolve the situation and, and get a new contract signed. And it looked like after a year that they would do that. And then it all just kicked off. And it's difficult to know which side was to blame because one side, but you know, Ronaldo's people blame the club and the club blame Ronaldo's people. And uh, basically, in the end, it just turned out that Inter were able to step in and pay the release fee. And then he ends up at Inter. And that first season, he's again, he just kind of p- picks up where he left off. And people thought that. Okay, you've done it in the Netherlands, you've done it in um, Spain, but this is the best league in the world, and this is a league where defenders are kind of probably the one place on the planet where defenders are kind of almost praised. Um, you know, if you can if you can keep a clean sheet and sort of kick the shit out of your uh, opponents, it, that's kind of like something that it, Italians love. So, is he going to be able to do it there? And and he did. He he, he absolutely did. Um, I think it was thirty four in his first season, all competitions. And they won the UEFA Cup. So they didn't win the league, but they were quite close to it. Um, and then obviously France 98. And then, well, I mean, we, we can we can talk about France 98 in a bit more detail if you want. But after that, he's, he had another year at Inter where it was, a, you know, a so-so year. He was still the top scorer, but he had a few injuries. And then the next three years at Inter were a nightmare. He had two really bad knee injuries. Um, and basically that was it until 2002. You know, just a few months before the World Cup, he kind of got on his comeback trail and and then and and Scott as you mentioned the 2002 World Cup was almost like his his like redemptive moment you know he he, he France 98 and then four really bad years at club level and for him to be able to do that was it was just it's one of, for me it's one of the best sort of sports stories um mm. I don't know if you watched the phenomenon doc, documentary that was on the zone like a few months ago yeah that was just like wow that yeah goosebumps sort of documentary that wasn't it really oh but yeah yeah yeah, it was absolutely incredible. It's funny because when 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 that came out, I was still writing the book, but I was having a bit of a, a sort of as you do during a book writing process, you do have those moments where you start to doubt yourself, and it's a lot of work, you know. And you're just like, oh, should I carry this on? And I, I almost made a decision not to carry on. And then partly because of the documentary, I thought if this documentary is about his life, it's just I'm not going to be able to compete with it. Um, but I watched it and I was actually inspired to carry on. Yeah. I've heard he's not seen it. I mean, it is a real snapshot of his career. And like you say, his focus is on that, on that comeback and the, re- yeah. the redemption story really for 2002. So um, it complements your book really. And probably if people, if people enjoyed that documentary, 
which I think probably everybody did, you've got to buy the book to, to read the before and after bit. But God, come on, let's keep going with the, with yeah. the after bit. <laughs> so. Yeah, so and obviously 2002 World Cup, he ends up at Real Madrid. They're in the middle of their Galactico project. Uh, and he's the, the you know the perfect fit really to to go in there. He was obviously not the same Ronaldo. I kind of all, almost say Ronaldo, you know, version one and, and version two because he wasn't the same Ronaldo who prior to you know prior to ninety eight really he he'd be everywhere. You know, if 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 they had heat maps back then, his heat map would just be the whole of the opposition half. You know, he he'd go left, he'd go right, push on high, but he'd also drop into around the center circles, you know, he'd get on the ball anywhere and, and just run at people and proper bulldozer. Whereas when he, when, you know, after the injuries and, and he put on a bit of weight and, and he was a bit older then. So he's, you know, he's, he's sort of late twenties by then, but, but, you know, he had a lot of miles on the clock and, um, and he became a different player. He became more of a sort of penalty box player, more of a poacher, um, but he was still banging in the goals. So for Real Madrid, I think he got 30 goals in his first three seasons. Um, and he played forty odd games in each of those seasons as well. So he was still, you know, he was still getting getting the games in. They won the they won the league in the first year, um, but they didn't really win anything after that. And then Capello came in in two thousand and six, I think it was. And then the thing the thing that I found out about Ronaldo was when he had managers like Capello and Hector Cooper at Inter, um, Dick Advocat at, at PSV. And a couple of the, the Brazilian coaches, like when he had managers who were disciplinarians, or you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't give him the leeway, and you know, because really, if you're a manager and you've got someone like him, you should you, you don't want to let him get away with murder, but you also don't want to be too harsh on him. You want to just be kind of managing him right, where you're getting the best out of him, and if that means that he skips a couple of portions of training, or you, you just do it because you'll get the best out mm-hmm. of him, and and and. The managers that he loved playing for did that for him. Bobby Robson, um, um, Gigi Simone at Inter, and uh, Del Bosque as well. You know, managers that almost, not, I wouldn't say they were in awe of him, but they kind of just, they let him do what he wanted, really. You know, he could go out he could go out to nightclubs and fly home to Brazil and, you know, all those kind of things that you shouldn't really be doing as a professional, but he performed for them. So, um so then, yeah, Capello was sort of like the death knell of his Real Madrid career. Really, he ends up at um, he ends up at AC Milan for about eighteen months. And it was uh, a real shame just to go back to the Real Madrid as well. That was a real shame that that he joined Real Madrid at that time because they were a shit state. That whole five years that he was there, I think, because um, Beckham obviously joined in two thousand and three. And he had four managers in five clang. years. Sorry, every time you mention Beckham, I'm just going <laughs> to drop a clang now. He's at number two now. But anyway, go on, carry on, Scott. But, but the, the club was a disaster. You know, they had this Galactico era, so they'd, they'd spent all of this money on these big players, and then they had no team players around them. And then you had the turmoil of Barcelona had, obviously, the, that was the Ronaldinho era, where they were taken off and destroyed. And they just destroyed Real Madrid. And it's such a shame that, you know, after the 2002, he'd come back. And then I think he kind of, it wasn't that he underachieved, but he joined probably the most underachieving Real Madrid team that, that had been there up to, to date now in the last four decades. Yeah, and, and funnily enough, that's that's kind of another thing that I discovered or a kind of a theory that I came up with while I was doing the book was that he, you know, he didn't win as much as you'd, you'd think really. You know, you look at like what Messi's won and, and what Cristiano Ronaldo has won. Because um, people often, you know, compare people like him to that, those kind of guys, uh, and he still had a great career. Don't get me wrong, but he didn't win what he, his talent deserved. And often it was just he was at the right club at the wrong time or the wrong club at the right time. You know, so but yeah, like you say, Real Madrid. You know, what they won just before he turned up, and what they won after he was there. You know, um, ridiculous, really. Inter, you know, won a treble, and it was a few years after he left, but. You know Barcelona. He kind of fell in between the the Cruyff era with the dream team, and then Pep Guardiola's era, and he was almost like in the middle bit. Um, so everywhere he went, he was just sort of he, he was almost like two years too late or two years too early. Um, so it, kind of like a a real shame, really. That yeah, like I said, I don't want to downplay his career and say that he underachieved, but it just just so happened that he had he had a bit of bad timing with with some of the clubs he was at, and I think timing in football is so important. You know that. You know, people can go to the the right club, but it's just not the right time for them. Um, so I think I definitely think you've got a point there. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, he goes to Milan then for about eighteen months, but again, another in, another bad knee injury, and that's it then, really. For his, I mean, he did have some you know good moments for AC Milan. He scored nine in nineteen, I think it was, but nineteen games in eighteen months, it was just that was the end of it, really. His contract was up. He goes back to Brazil. He's training with Flamengo, who were like his boyhood club. They rejected him as a as a kid, and you know he was obviously devastated about that. So he's training with Flamengo uh, for about four months, and then he signs for Corinthians. So it's a big. Contra- controversy. I remember a, a lad I knew who's Bra- uh, he's Brazilian and he's a Flamengo fan and and he I, I didn't really understand at the time. So this is like 2010 approximately. So I didn't really understand the dynamic at the time. But he was he absolutely hated Ronaldo with a passion um, and Roberto Carlos as well because he played for Corinthians. And I was like, why does this Brazilian guy hate these two players? You know, um, but yeah. it's because they played for um, you know rivals and, and Ronaldo had had basically got fit at Flamengo and then gone to Corinthians. He says that there was never, a, you know, he said that, you know, I was there for all that time and they never really spoke to me about a contract. And then Corinthians swooped in and, and offered me a deal. So I just took it. Um, and I think other people would say that probably a bit disingenuous that maybe if he'd said, you know, look, Corinthians have offered me this, but I really want to play here. What's what's happening? Maybe then they could have come to an agreement, but he didn't. He just... Um, he just went there and won a couple of trophies and Flamengo won um, the league. They had Adriano at the time, so didn't work out too badly for them. Uh, and then 2011, he retires. So, um, you know, yeah, just I think age was just taking its toll and all the injuries and, and just his motivation as well. You know, he's he's since gone into business. He's he's tried a few bits and bobs business-wise and, and now he's owner of two clubs. So he owns Cruzeiro. So it's the first time he's ever been involved with a club for the second time. Um, in his career, he never went back anywhere, and he's gone back there as a as an owner, and um, Real Valladolid in Spain as well. So he's had mixed mixed sort of results, but um, but yeah, I think uh, I think he seems to enjoy. He's got loads of other business ventures as well. He's seen he's involved in things like poker and and all sorts of other stuff. So uh, yeah, and and he's coming out of his shell a bit as well in terms of his his media. When when he was playing, he, he was quite quite guarded with the media, but you probably notice now that he's doing a lot more documentaries and and sort of opening up a bit more about his career, which is is great to see. I think he was suspicious of the way the media treated him when he was a player. It uh, wasn't always favourable. Back home in Brazil, I think it was almost like the sun would be here, you know, chasing him down and making stories up and stuff like that. So um, he seems to be sort of quite open now, which is good to see. I asked this question deliberately because Eddie's on the call. In your opinion, greatest ever player not to win the Champions League? Yeah, I would say so. I, 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 who, who do you think it is? <laughs> I, I think it might be Francesco Totti, but um, <laughs> that, I mean, they'd be a good front two. If you're creating the best team of players never to win the Champions League, that, that's your front two, yeah? Yeah, possibly. I, I, I came across a few um, a few like, stories about this when I was doing the book, and there's quite a few polls that have Ronaldo as the best. Also, Maradona as well, if you if you count the you know European Cup Champions League, Maradona never won it either, so that's not a bad, you know... It, it, Let's. I'll keep you happy then. Let's have them three in a bit of a front three. That would be pretty frightening, wouldn't it? It would. <laughs> so is is Totty to you what Beckham is to Scott then? Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't sleep with Totty though. But um, that's that's probably the only difference. <laughs> <laughs> it's not David's fault. He's beautiful. <laughs> so, so going back to the career for you, if you had to choose a couple of standout goals for people to go and look at on YouTube, what what goals would you pick, Dan, for people to go and search? I think you'd have to pick Compostela for Barcelona. It's it, so he, he would have been like twenty at the time. It's it's crazy when you think back to it. You know how young that is, and he scores this goal where he picks the ball up on the halfway line, and he sort of slaloms through the whole team. And the, what I like about the goal is it shows all of his attributes in one goal. So it shows that he's he's strong. You know, he's getting pulled, he's getting kicked, he's strong, he's got good balance. There's times where he puts on the accelerator and then there's times where he slows down um, and then he gets into the box and he's got the calmness to finish. And it's just it just encapul- encapsulates all of his all of his attributes in one goal. You know, it's not just like a 35-yard top corner goal or you know, he's, he's everything in one goal One goal that just shows you how good he is. So I would definitely say that goal. Bobby Robson on the bench at, at that day. And I mean, you know, 
I wrote I wrote in the book, you know, this is a guy who's he's been to the 86 World Cup. He's seen Maradona in, in the flesh. He's been to the 19 World Cup with Gaza and all of those things. He's seen, he's, you know, he's seen it all. And and he even puts his hands on his head when the goal goes in. And it's he's like, it's like he's seen a ghost. He's just completely he's blown away by this talent. And I think that's that's definitely a goal um that you've got to see if you don't know if you've not seen it. Ronaldo. Perseguido, agarrado por Chivas, se va Ronaldo, atención que ahí sí que es peligroso el brasileño, Ronaldo, Ronaldo, gol, qué golazo acaba de hacer Ronaldo. Completely, completely agree. Do, do any of his goals for Brazil stand out to you? And maybe not as beautiful, but like you talked about the puff to the comeback, does anything stand out? Yeah, I mean, obviously the the, the 2002 World Cup goal, goals he scores, um, there's one, I think it's in the semi-final against Turkey, uh, you know, when he had the, the daft haircut where he shaved the triangle. Um, so he he basically said that he did that because he wanted to take away the distraction. So obviously in the 98 World Cup, everyone was obsessed with whether he was injured or not. And it just, you know, by the end of the World Cup, it's that probably played a part in in, in what, hap- what, what happened to him because there's, there's so much pressure on his shoulders and is Ronaldo injured? What's what's happening with Ronaldo? So there was, there was all that going on. And in 2002, he, he was obviously a bit more mature at this point. But he thought, okay, I'm going to shave this. I'm going to leave this daft triangle on on the front of my head, and then everyone's going to be talking about that, and they're not going to be asking me about my injury. But he did have an injury, um, sort of uh, inside of his inside of his thigh. And if you watch the goal against Turkey in the semi final, he kind of toe pokes it. It's like it's, it's a really weird place to toe poke the ball from. It's like on the corner of the 18 yard box almost. He kind of toe pokes it across the keeper. But he said it's because he couldn't kick it any other way because he was in so much pain. Joe Silva to Ronaldo. Ronaldo to Brazil. Oh, what do you say about that? Extraordinary. 49 minutes gone. Every World Cup needs a hero. And Ronaldo is one here. His sixth goal of the tournament. And even Rusto could do nothing about that. There's another goal. I think it's one of the first goal he scores in that World Cup, where against China, I think it was, where he, he kind of flings himself at the, at the at the ball in midair, and it's it's quite an acrobatic goal. And he said that that was an important goal for him because he he realised that his body could kind of stand up to the you know throwing himself about basically. So yeah, and then obviously the final goals, you know, they're not the, the one one of them's nice and the other one of them's just a tapping after after Khan sort of spills it, but just what they mean, I think more than. You know, if if the Compostela goal in a quite a meaningless five nil five one win is kind of you know the the beautiful side of of the game, those ones are you know not the best to look at, but what they mean makes it an amazing goal. If you see what I mean, hundred percent. This is Harmon. Ronaldo wins it back. Now can he find Rivaldo? Yes, he and what about so what about shirts is there any any shirts throughout his entire career that you just that you favor or anything that as soon as you see it, you just think Ronaldo. Yeah, I mean the Barcelona shirt for a start. You know that's that's like that's for me. It's just Ronaldo. You know, I just picture him wearing that with his long sleeves. Um, you know, always had like a little gold chain popping out the top of it, and um, and then Inter as well. So I mean, it, that was another shirt that I bought the the home one, the Umbro one. Um, the, the badge was in the middle, the Umbro was just to one side, and I just I just look. I mean, those colours, black and blue. There's just something about it, it goes so well together. Um, so that was an, an Umbro. I've got a bit of a thing for Umbro now. I remember at the time, Umbro, I felt Umbro was a bit, you know, Nike was just coming to the fore in the late 90s. And, and I got to the stage where I thought Umbro was a bit kind of old hat, you know. But now I look back and I'm a bit obsessed with Umbro. I'd, I'd look back at some of the Umbro shirts and just think that is just absolutely stunning, that shirt, you know. Whereas at the time I thought, oh, it's a bit. So so that 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 Inter shirt. And when they went, when they went, when they went with Nike in um, 98, would it have been 98? They, they went with Nike Inter. And you know it's got the same colours, but it just doesn't have the same vibe. But in that in that season also, they had um, in that first season they had an Umbro shirt for the for the European games. It was um, I think it was 
hoops, this one. Was it hoops? I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I think it was black and grey hoops. And and that was like that was pretty again, what maybe one at the time that wasn't as popular, but looking back, it's it's um it's gone up in you know a few notches with the uh nostalgia points. So yeah, I think I think I mean the Umbro 94 World Cup one as well. It's just all all about Umbro really. All the all the older shirts. <laughs> The Cruzeiro one's pretty cool. I don't know if you can picture the Cruzeiro one. Yeah. Um, it's some weird brand that I think was only around in Brazil in the mid-90s, Finto it was called. I've searched for different clubs wearing it using that that manufacturer, and it just seems to be Brazil sort of between 92 and 95. So a bit of a you know domestic uh, manufacturer, but, but that's quite nice. It's it's a bit shiny, but it's... Uh, it's got some good detail on it with the stars and uh, of the of the crest of Cruzeiro. And then, I mean, the 2002 World Cup shirt is is pretty iconic as well. I spoke to um, Craig Bugos from Nike, and and he he was part of the team designing that shirt. And you know, some of the sort of nuggets of information he told me about the design process and stuff, um, you know, makes it brings it into a new light, really. And 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 you know, that's a really memorable shirt purely because you know he scored those. He scored those massively important goals wearing it. So I think they're the ones that stand out for me. I don't know if you guys have got any others. Well, Scott, you you own a fair few Ronaldo shirts. So come on, if you um if you had to close your eyes and picture Ronaldo in a kit, what kit are you going for? Well, I think um you're right, Dan, about the two thousand and two is definitely if the, just because of that moment, that's the Brazil shirt I would always go to. But I have um I have an inkling towards players like Ronaldo in particular that, that are not very well known to begin with, but become amazing. So I have all four of the PSV shirts that he wore because it was that coming to, you know, you think to, to compare him to other players, you know, Messi spent his whole career at Barca. You got the likes of Giggs and Scholes that were Man United the whole time. Totties only ever played for Roma. But you look at these other players, you know, you got Zidane that started at Bordeaux. Nobody knew who he was. Ronaldo, PSV, um, Cruzio, you know, these these amazing players that were completely unknown, that somebody might not even have thought, oh, do you know what, I'm going to buy a shirt with that guy on it. So I really love these superstars that played for kind of teams that you wouldn't really expect in the beginning. And the, the, that, the first PSV one is the, the classic Adidas, and they didn't have the name, so he just wore the number nine. I have one of those, and that's I'd probably I really love that in terms of club shirts. That's probably the one I would go for. Yeah, no, I I really like the PSV one as well. The 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 Nike ones are okay, but I think the the the, the Adidas ones are pretty pretty nice. They had the little button, didn't they, on the collar? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and long was it long sleeved as well? Have you got the long sleeve one? Unfortunately, I only have the short sleeve, but he did wear long sleeved. Yeah, yeah. I've got a real thing for long sleeve shirts. Don't know why, but just something about them. We'll make a okay. kick collector out of you. Yeah, you're saying all the right things. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, just 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 with the cost of them, I'm uh, that, that's what puts me off at the moment. Some of these uh, old old school shirts are quite expensive, aren't they? Yeah. What's your favourite AD? You avoided the question. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So no, I would I would say that that Inter Milan shirt, the the first Inter Milan shirt. Yeah, just because that's when I, yeah, I was getting to see him more. Like I said, didn't have Sky, had, uh, had Channel 4 and was watching Football Italia and, uh, get, and getting to see him in the flesh a bit more. But th- also, yeah, for me, that France 98 shirt, for some reason, if, probably if I close my eyes, that's the the shirt I see him in because of all that build-up hype. You know, I had the I had the, the trainers, I had the football boots, you know, yeah, Mercurials, wasn't it? He launched Mercurial yeah. range, is that right? Yeah, yeah and it was, so, it, was, it was a real time when, you know, Nike were going really big in, in football and, you know, like I, I had a football with a, a you know, a Nike ball with Brazil written on it and um, I had a yellow T-shirt and a blue T-shirt. I think it was like a pack of two, you know. They kind of really hammered the, the sort of merchandise and it's probably the first time that that had really happened. Um, so yeah, there was all sorts of Brazil gear flowing around in in '98. Definitely remember that. They had all it's the best one... adverts as well. All the night football adverts. They really, yeah. Adidas tried to catch up with the Predator ones, but they they never quite reached that Nike level. Yeah, you can't be the. I mean, there's there's a couple came after it, but the the airport one is just absolutely iconic, isn't it? You, you'll never beat that, I don't think. I think most of that's on Nielsen's highlight reel as well. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It's interesting because I thought like I, I I came up with loads of random theories as I mentioned a couple of them already. But for the for the airport ninety eight one, Ronaldo is kind of the star of the show for the the advert. You know he he starts things and then he's got the last kick and he just kick if you can remember it he, he kicks the ball against one of the posts and then sort of you know 
his face grimaces, you know, at the end. And and I, I think, you know, that's, that, that came before the World Cup, but then look what happened at the World Cup where in the final moment he was he, he was kind of disappointed. And then 2002 World Cup, they had like a tournament one. Um, I, I can't remember, was it the one in the cages? It was on a ship or something, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And 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 that, that they they had loads more stars then, so I don't know if that was a purposeful thing by Nike to have loads of different rather than just have Ronaldo as the focus. They had you know Figo and and loads of other different stars, and then I think Ronaldo's team won the tournament. He had it was him and Figo and um, can't remember who the other one. It might have been Roberto Carlos or something. So and and his team won. So I kind of think, oh, is that you know? I, I don't believe in all that kind of you know premonitions and stuff, but it's, I just found it quite interesting that. That it was that the the pressure was taken off him by not making it all about him, and and that's kind of what happened with Brazil, and and they went on to win the tournament as well. So, just I'm getting a bit sidetracked there, but um, one of my madcap theories that I came up with. I was say your memory is spot on as well because he was so he was in the tornadoes team along with Figo and Roberto Carlos. There you go. Yeah, that was a good advert. That was a good advert, to be fair. But it, but your theory might not be wrong because that's what the the documentary focused on a lot, wasn't it? Because his mother speaks about the amount of pressure that they put him on and, and how much he felt that he had to win in 2002 because he would have been, Brazil would have seen him as a complete failure if he hadn't taken him to the World Cup, which is, you know, we, it's a, that's a lot of pressure to put on a human being, especially in a football team when you're one, you know, you're one of 22 on the park. It's I think that's just how it is in Brazil. They've, you either win or or it's a disaster, you know, that that's just kind of the, the mentality they've got there. I think it's like a, you know, Roy Keane on, on steroids kind of mentality where, you know, nothing else will do other than winning. And they obviously didn't win in in in, in 98. And um, there was there was real pressure on him to win. And, you know, they thought that they were going to win their fifth World Cup in 98. And and they, when you look back, the, the team wasn't great, really. They, you know, Cafu, Roberto Carlos and a couple of others, but it wasn't a great team. So, you know, whereas in, in 2002, you had Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, you know, he, he didn't have as much pressure on his shoulders because in 98, he was really the only, you know, you had, you had Bebeto there who was a bit of a veteran. Romario didn't go to the World Cup in the end um, and, you know, because of injury. So it was just him carrying the can. Whereas in 2002, it was more of a, you know, shared Rivaldo, you know, popped up with quite a few important goals. Ronaldinho, obviously against England, which I'm sure you enjoyed, Scott. But yeah, so, so <laughs> you know, there, there was just more of a team spirit and a team ethic, I think, in 2002. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable story. There's some unbelievable moments in there, um, and and the detail is uh, is going to be in the book for everybody to see. Dan, why don't you tell us about where we can see the book because it's out now. So where can we get hold of a copy? Yeah, so you can get hold of a copy um, if you want a signed copy. Then people can um, message me on Twitter. So I've got um, a, a specific in uh, Twitter account for the book, which is just simply at Ronaldo Book does what it says on the tin. Um, so people can follow that account and that, that's going to have updates and, and me sharing stuff about the book. And if if people contact me on there, I can sort them out a, a signed copy um, or they can get it from all the usual places like Amazon and Waterstones and wherever else they want to get the books. So it should be easy to find, hopefully. And we'll share links to, to all your socials and what have you as well when the when this goes out. So for anybody listening, just click on the tweets and, and you'll get links to those. We can't let you go, though, without asking a final question. Come we, Scott? Oh, this is the question every guest gets asked. Is it about Beckham? <laughs> <laughs> no, even when I'm not here, they ask the same question. <laughs> so there, there's no rules. This is the important thing. So if uh, it's, it's all about kits. But if you could put Ronaldo in any kit now it can be a team he played for a team he didn't play for so you mentioned you were a United fan you know you could put him in your favourite United kit but you can only pick one kit what would you have loved to have seen Ronaldo in well, does it have to be a kit that he was around to have worn nope it can be any any shirt from any I think, era I, I do remember like in in he was he was linked with United in 90 I'm trying to think what year it would have been um it might have been 90, was it 98? But at one point it was linked. I think no, it was I think it was when he was at Barcelona. He was linked, but it never happened. You know, it's one of those where all the big names got linked with the club um and it never happened. But I was I was like desperate for that to happen. I think I would probably go for um one of my favorite kits of the 90s was um the black sharp view cam um kit. So 93, 94, 95 around that time. So I don't know if you can picture it, but it was it was black. The Kung then. Fu, the Kung Fu kit. 
Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it had like um, it had sort of bits of yellow and blue trim, and it had sharp view cam. I think it was the only shirt that had view cam on it, but um, yellow letters, um, and yeah, it was that that was a really nice kit, one of my favourite kits of the nineties. And he he would he would have just been coming to Europe in ninety four. So had he signed in in ninety four, he could have been wearing that kit and um, scoring a few goals. So I, I would go for that one. That's a great one. No, brilliant, brilliant answer. I mean, what what a player, what a career, and what a book for people as well to go out and grab it and reminisce about those goals and about the tale. Yeah, I hope so. I hope I hope people enjoy reading it as much as I enjoy writing it, and um, you know, people that are fans of his enjoy the that you know the detail. And uh, yeah, I hope people enjoy it. That's you know, you enjoy the process, but it, without the people enjoying it, it's pointless. So I hope that hope that you know as many people as possible enjoy, you know buy it, but also more importantly, really enjoy it. Well, I'll definitely we, be getting it. I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've enjoyed chatting to you, Dan. And uh, who knows, maybe we can get you back on for a, a Boca feature in the future as well. Yeah, absolutely. I would love that. All right. Take care. We'll catch you soon. Thanks, Dan. Cheers. I really enjoyed that one. I think it's nice to hear somebody talking about the real Ronaldo, to be honest. Yeah, it, it was brilliant. The man's had a fascinating career. So to to hear all of that, I mean, obviously none of us have read the book. It literally came out a, a few days ago. I think we're quite pumped about trying to get a copy of this one because it just talking to Dan sounded amazing. So yeah, good, good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> Sorry, so, so, Mike. Adam, as you heard, sort of me, Scott, and uh, Dan talks about the, the shirt that we picture Ronaldo in when we close our eyes. What, what's the kit for you that when you close your eyes and you think of R9, you, you think of him in that kit? Oh, see, I, I'd love to lie and be like, yeah, it's the Barcelona away shirt in his one season there because it was one of my favourite shirts of all time, the teal one with the, yeah, you know the one. But it's got to be the Inter Milan, the grey and like darker grey one. The UEFA hoop shirt, yeah? That's the one, the UEFA hoop shirt. I, I know that Inter have looked at that shirt a couple of times again in like more recent history. And it's just an iconic design. So, yeah, unfortunately, I'd love it to be one of my favourite shirts of all time, the Barcelona away shirt. But it's that one. Any R9 in your wardrobe, Mike? There's not. There's not. There are a couple of shirts that I would like that he wore across his career. The, the one that Adam's just mentioned, obviously, is one of them. But it's just one of those things. He just played for a lot of clubs of, whose shirts I don't really pick up. Um, and the problem is that the ones that I do like cost an arm and a leg. And as everybody knows, I waste my money on stupid shirts like buying Munich and Fenerbahce if I'm going to spend an arm and a leg. So, um, so yeah, no, I mean, obviously, he's got, got some iconic shirts, hasn't he? And it's unusual for a collector not to have one, but I actually, yeah, I, I don't. Maybe I should correct that at some point. Absolute icon, some unbelievable shirts. And actually, listeners, we look forward to seeing some of your Ronaldo shirts during the week as well, because I think we'll probably run a couple of threads and posts on that. I was just going to say, do we think that he might be the player with the greatest shirt history? Because I was just looking as well, like the PSV shirt he was in as well is absolutely iconic. He's had some... Very, very good shirts in his career, hasn't he? I think we should probably, now you're on board, Adam, we go back and do a kit battle like we did a, a couple of months ago where we were able to nominate a player to the best career in kits. And you're right, very credible candidate. Anyway, should we move on to some news? Let's do it. So there's been a few stories floating around the last week or so. What's caught everyone's eye? i got a question for you. Do you like dags? I love dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not the only one because Atletico Nacional in Colombia, they played and they all walked out of the tunnel with a dog each, which I thought was absolutely incredible, to be honest, as a dog lover myself. Uh, I thought it was amazing. I showed my wife and she now claims to be a Nacional supporter. So they've definitely gained a few followers from that. Um, but for us shirt nerds, one of the things that would have caught most people's eye, if you like, is they wore an incredible name set, which actually had images of dogs inside the numbers. 
And if you're asking why they did this, it's because they joined a campaign basically for the welfare of dogs in Colombia. And it was just a really, really nice little link up that you don't see very often. Alongside the, the, the font that they did, there was basically a lot of graphics with sort of like dogs as the starting 11. Um, and it was just it was a really, really nice thing to to see. And I'd like to see that more in football, to be honest. See, I'm a cat person rather than a dog person. Boo. How, boo. However... Imagine if they did it with cats, the carnage that would be there. <laughs> that people would die. It would be awful. Like, it, it just wouldn't work. Like, I love cats, but they are arseholes. Like, with the dog content, like, I, I obviously saw it on Twitter. It was so wholesome and lovely. It would not be that way with cats, would it? No. Do you remember the black cat that ran on the Everton, at Goodison Park, the Everton pitch uh, a couple of years ago? Yeah, there was also um, an Anfield one as well. And in the true way that these things happen, there was a Twitter account set up immediately for Anfield Cat. <laughs> Adam, what else is out there? Um, so this is actually, well, there's some good to this and there's some negatives. So Milan, uh, AC Milan, is that what we call them? Just to double check. We do. You can't say Inter. What, Inter Milan? You're allowed oh, to say I... Milan and you're allowed to say AC Milan. Oh, I said Inter, didn't I? Whatever, I will make mistakes. But um, AC Milan are, well, they're working with Puma. Um, That's the negative. It's with Puma, so we don't know how this is going to turn out. But the positive is that they are letting fans choose how to make up their 125th anniversary shirt. And what I mean by that is that they are letting fans vote on four different components. Now, at the moment, there's only one part which is out, and they have a choice between stripe thickness So option A is wider stripes and option B is thinner stripes, which is very similar to their centenary shirt. So fans can vote for this. They've got from the 4th of September to the 10th of September to vote on that. And then the next vote for the next component of the shirt comes out from the 11th to the 17th of September. Don't know what that is yet, but we can probably speculate. It might be the badge, might be a collar variation. It's a really interesting way of getting the fans involved and more so than what we've seen before where it's just been a straight up choice between four different designs, for example. Again, the negative is that they're still with Puma and I don't have a lot of good things to say about Puma. So there we go. I don't want to jump on the Puma uh, defense here because I'm not, I'm not saying I'm Puma sympathizer, but I do have a 120 year anniversary shirt that was designed by Puma with, with like the gold detailing on it. And it was fantastic. So Probably last good shirt they did, but um, yeah, it was it was really quality. What do you think, Mike, about this idea? I guess it involves more people, doesn't it? Yeah, I I, I think it's good. I do I do like the idea of it. It's, it is better than just picking four designs, throwing them out there, and saying which one do you want. I guess in a sense, you're you're obviously building a shirt from scratch. If they are going to throw out these different sort of like stages, it, it's good. It's just hard to know how it's all going to link through i guess because obviously usually you 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 would look at all these things at the same time to decide which part you want with what but i guess if you pick a narrow stripe first it might actually then influence your choice of the next step rather than picking what you thought was best for a particular phase if you if you know what i mean but either way i think it's interesting i don't know it'll, it'll be good it'll be good Cool idea, and Adam can keep us up to speed with the uh, the future elements that, that are up for grabs on that. Uh, one other thing, did anybody see, I think uh, Tom, our very own Tom, the shirt fan, tweeted out earlier this week, or maybe back in the last week, GQ did their top 20 shirts, football shirts of all time or something like that. Anybody see that poll? Yeah, uh, yeah poll I saw around. that. Just to say how bad it was, uh, my friendship group back home sent a message and we are going to talk about the worst shirt in it. Well, there were two really bad shirts, but uh, one of my friends just said, they do not know what the fuck France 98 was, do they? I, I think that sums it up. When when you say about a France home shirt and you pick some weird, what was it, like a fan shirt? With, fan shirt. With, is it Footix? The um, mascot was on there, I think, possibly as well. Yeah, just bizarre. I, I don't... I was going to say, I don't know who did it. I did see who put the article together. I'm just going to say, I don't think football shirts are his forte. I think he might have just dipped his toe into something that people see as trendy at the moment. So, I mean, there were, as people call them concepts, let's uh, let's, be, let's be frank, there were fake shirts in there. Yeah. Um, and not only that, there were actually, this is GQ magazine, there were links where to buy these fake unlicensed goods from. I, I couldn't believe it. I fell off my chair when I read it, which was embarrassing. I sat on a train. <laughs> 
Good Lord. Um, yeah, well, there's not really a lot else you can say. I think m- most of our listeners probably would have seen the list. It, it, do you know what I think we should do? I think actually on another episode, maybe we should pull that list up and we should have a little chat through it and and give our opinions on on the choices. Great idea, Mike. Great idea. Speaking of future episodes, I think that draws to close today's episode. But future episodes, what have we got lined up? We've got stacks of stuff, haven't we, Mike? We have, just to name a few, we have upcoming, we finally will be putting out that Wrexham special, jumping on the bandwagon, as Tom would say. Uh, We have the Admiral special, which I'm really excited about because there's a couple of really, really good things in there. And I'm going to be sitting down to record with the guys from the other Bundesliga podcast as well, which should be good. All about the Austrian Bundesliga super exciting and we've also got a black star ghana special coming out as well so we have got loads of content coming over the next few weeks listen it's been a action packed show today i hope you've really enjoyed the ronaldo the original ronaldo feature we've done today it was a lot of fun to record and that book looks fantastic so do take a look at that we'll be sharing it in our socials adam i think it's only right that you wrap up the show today on your official debut awesome so they think it's all over It is now. Keep your shirt. Don't swap it.